Thank you for checking out the messages of New Grace. We are a group of believers in Roanoke, Virginia, who are dedicated to loving God, loving others, and serving others. We hope that today's message is a blessing to you and your family. Welcome again, New Grace family. Thank you for joining us for our preaching time here at New Grace. Uh, once again, we are meeting virtually, and we may have to continue this for a while uh, just to make every, sure everything settled down in the church. But we're still going to hear the Word of God. God still speaks to us. God still does a work in our heart through the preaching of the Word of God, no matter how we get that preaching. So this morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. We're going to be looking this morning and next week at one of the most misunderstood and really interesting aspects of the filling of the Holy Spirit. So for the past several weeks, we've been in this study about the Holy Spirit that we've entitled Rushing Wind. And we've been looking at the Holy Spirit and His work in the life of a church and His work in the life of the believer. And for the next couple weeks, we're going to be looking at the aspect of the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, we, we saw a couple weeks ago how while Jesus, when he was on earth, he limited his access to his godness, to the power of God that he had in him. He never stopped being God. He never, for one fraction of a second, was not God. He has always been God and he will always be God. But while he was on earth, he limited himself to the access to the power of God that he he had. And he did that for a purpose. He did that so that while he was on earth, the things that he did, the miracles he performed, the way he helped people, the way he healed people, the way he had the ability just to look into the heart of people and pray for them and encourage them and, and be a blessing to them. All that he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and Luke shows us in the Gospel of Luke that Christ and the access he had to the Holy Spirit and the power he had of the Holy Spirit is available to us today. We have access to the same Spirit that Jesus did. We have access to the same power that Jesus did. And he lived his life in that way to show us that we are able to do what he says are greater works than he did because we have the same spirit living and abiding inside of us as his children. We have the same power that Jesus did as his followers. That means that we have access to the same gifts that he had while he was on earth. So look in your Bibles in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start in verse number 1. Bible says now concerning spiritual gifts. Now that that word there, spiritual gifts, is the Greek word pneumatikos, and it means belonging to the Holy Spirit. See, spiritual gifts only come from God. They have nothing to do with our talents. They have nothing to do with our abilities. They are not things that we can manufacture or create on our own. So again, verse one, he says now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. I would not have you be ignorant. So Paul, he is going to teach us some vital lessons we need to know as believers about the gifts of God, about spiritual gifts or gifts of the Spirit or whatever phrase you want to use. He's going to teach us about these gifts. So skip down to verse number four. 
He says, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So, so Paul, in this, this passage of the, uh, that he's using to teach us about the Holy Spirit, he, he uses uh, some, some phrases to describe, some words to describe how these gifts are manifested in the life of the believer and what those gifts are for. He says that they are diversities of gifts. That, word, that phrase there is the Greek word charisma. It literally means gifts of grace. So he's saying there, there are different gifts of grace or grace gifts given to us from God. He says there are differences of administrations. That's the, the Greek word dikona. It's the same word we, we tr that's translated as deacon elsewhere in the Bible. It means service. So he says there's, there's different gifts, there's different services, and then he says diversities of operations. That's energemia. It, it means it effects or energies. He's saying there's, there's gifts, there's services, there's energies and effects and operations that God has given different things to different people, but they all come from the same God. So there are different ways that these gifts are manifested, but they all come from God and they all have the same purpose. So as I studied this passage this week and other passages that go along with it, uh, I saw six questions that I had to answer myself that I want to ask and answer this morning. So here's the first question. What is a spiritual gift? What is a spiritual gift? As Paul said, these gifts are given from God directly to his children from the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose. Basically, a spiritual gift is something given from God to believers for the purpose of fulfilling his mission on earth through us. It's what Jesus was talking about in John 14, 2, when he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he who believes in me will do, work, will do the works that I do also, and he will do greater works than these, because I am going to my Father. See, Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to us because he was going to the Father. He was leaving earth. And he knew that the, the apostles, the disciples that had been with him for, for three and a half years, that they would lose the presence of God with them. And at first, it seems like a bad deal to the apostles. They lose the presence of Jesus next to them, but they get something better. They get the spirit of Jesus in them. And this spirit enables them and enables us to do greater works than Jesus did. Not, not greater in size. You know, none of us are going to be raising people from the dead or walking on water or calming storms, but greater in extent, greater in impact. Now that the spirit of God is in everyone the collective spirit of God inside of all his children is greater than the spirit of God just in Jesus. 
So he goes, while the apostles were on earth and they had Jesus with them, they were only impacted by him or comforted by him or encouraged by him or taught by him or convicted by him when they were around him. When they were with him, they didn't have that. They didn't have the, the convicting power of the spirit of God because they weren't with it. They didn't have the wisdom of God from the Spirit of God because they weren't with it. But when Jesus ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit. So that now every child of God has the Spirit of God in them all the time. We have access to God and his wisdom and his comfort and his conviction and his power every second of every day. You know, it would be awesome if Jesus was on earth preaching to us every day. Look, if, if we could had the option to tune in to see Jesus preach or to go to a church to hear Jesus preach, I would go there. I would move to wherever he was preaching at and I would sit under his ministry and I would listen to him preach. But we don't have that. And that's that's actually a good thing that we don't have to go to one place to hear from the spirit of God. We have the spirit of God living inside of us. There are approximately two point five billion followers of Jesus on earth today. And every single one of them has access to the same spirit that Jesus did. 2.5 billion people with the Spirit of God working in and through them can do greater works than Jesus could do alone on the earth as God the Son. I know that sounds blasphemous. Even studying it and even saying it, it just, it sounds wrong. How can we as people, even with the Spirit of God, do greater works than God on earth himself. Because remember, when Jesus was on earth, he wasn't here as the almighty reigning God, the all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing God. He was here as God in the flesh. Yes, he was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. As man, he was limited by time and space and things like that were limited by. He was limited by technology. He limited himself to the power, his godness, to show us what we could do through his spirit. So that's why he said it's, you can do greater works with me gone than I've ever done when I was on earth. That's what Jesus meant when he said we would do greater works. Jesus in us is more effective than Jesus with us. So God, he, he gives us spiritual gifts to enable us to fulfill the mission of Christ. And what, what was Christ's mission while he was on earth? He had a couple purposes. He, he came to glorify God in the world. He came to bless and heal the world. He came to save sinners and he came to build up his church. John 12, 27, it says, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I under this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. Jesus came to glorify God the Father. Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus came to heal and to, to help the broken world. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to save sinners. John 21.15, so when they had dined, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, uh, said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said to him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, feed my lambs. Jesus came to build up his church. Jesus had a mission that he was sent to earth to accomplish. And part of that mission, the biggest part of that mission was the salvation of mankind, was to come and live a sinless life, to die a death that we should have suffered on the cross, to be buried in the grave, and three days later to rise again, redeeming us to God the Father. And he accomplished that, and we are so grateful for that. And that's the, one of the biggest aspects of his mission. But the rest of his mission still needs to be accomplished. Sinners still need to be saved. The Father still needs to be glorified. The broken world still needs to be healed. And the church still needs to be built up. And so God has given us spiritual gifts to accomplish that mission. When God does something through you to glorify God, to bless others, to spread the gospel, or to build the church, it is a spiritual gift. Second question we want to look at is who gets a spiritual gift? Look again at uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Look at verse 7. It says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. Now, that, that phrase there, every man, is the Greek word hekastos. And it, it doesn't single men out specifically. It's not like, well, men get the Spirit of God and women get nothing. It doesn't mean every man. What it literally means is every person that is being addressed. So if, if I were speaking to a huge crowd of men and women and children, and I used that phrase, hekastos, I would mean all of you. Paul is talking, God is talking to the Corinthian church through Paul. He's talking to believers. He's talking to people who have accepted Christ as their Savior. The gifts of the Spirit are given to every single child of God. It's not something that just a select few have. Every child of God is given a spiritual gift from God. Now, not everyone gets the same gifts, and we'll look at that in a, in a bit. But if you're a child of God, you have a spiritual gift. Third question I, I saw this week, I had to answer myself. Why are we given spiritual gifts? Why? Again, look at verse number seven. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So why are we given spiritual gifts? To profit with all. That clears it up, right? Of course it doesn't. The word with all is the Greek word some pharaoh, and it means to bear together for the good of all. Other translations have translated this word 
as for the common good. And that's that's a better representation that we understand. Now, they may they they understood that in 1611 Old English. They understood what with all means. But today in 2020, we understand for the common good. So why did God give us spiritual gifts? They're not given for our benefit. They're given for the good of others. They are given for the benefit and the growth and the good of everyone else. We're, we're to use our spiritual burdens to, our spiritual gifts to bear each other's burdens, to encourage each other, to strengthen each other, to help each other. One of the problems in the Corinthian church was that they thought their spiritual gifts made them more spiritual than other people. They believed it wasn't a manifestation of the power of God so much as it was a manifestation of their power. They were proud of them. They boasted in them. They thought their, their spiritual gifts proved that they were super spiritual Christian. Not only does that mindset and that thinking show that they are immature Christians, but it also shows that they don't truly understand the gospel and they don't truly understand spiritual gifts. The gospel says that as a child of God, you have absolute approval from God because of Christ. Not because of you. As a matter of fact, you are accepted by God through Christ in spite of you. It's not because of what you've done or what you can do. It's in spite of what you've done and what you can do. The gospel says that God accepts you because of Christ. Christ's righteousness has been given to you as a gift and God now sees you as he sees Christ. And it's all because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it has nothing to do with you. And to think that a spiritual gift that God has given you sets you apart, shows that you don't understand what God is trying to do, and you deserve nothing from God but wrath. What you have been given is Christ's righteousness. Our fallen nature, it looks for, for something in ourself that is unique, that is special, something we can boast in, something that sets us apart. We're prettier than other people. We're more athletic than other people. We're smarter than other people. We're more moral than other people. We can go on and on and on. And spiritual gifts can be used to do that. You know, I have this special gift, and so that makes me more special than people that don't have it. In Luke 10, Jesus, he sends out 70 disciples to go into the surrounding areas and, and preach the gospel. And they, they come back, and when they come back, they start bragging. They say, man, Jesus, it was awesome. Even the spirits, even the demons had to listen to us. They were subject to us. Jesus, it was incredible. And Jesus tells them, he says, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. The only thing 
that we have to boast about as believers is Christ's righteousness. The only thing we have to boast about as children of God is the salvation that he has paid for. Nothing of us. It's all about him. Living in this truth is, is harder than it sounds. It's, it's easy to allow your fallen heart to puff yourself up. It's easy, especially, you know, especially if you, your spiritual gift is used in front of people, like I have the gift of, of preaching. That's what God's called me to do. That's what God's gifted me to do. And it's, it's hard to go out some Sundays and somebody says, man, great sermon preacher. That's the best sermon I've ever heard. I don't hear that often. But when I do hear that, it's, it's easy to say, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. But it's, it's nothing of me. It's all of Christ. And the gift wasn't given for us to boast in how good we are. Our spiritual gifts were given to help other people, to encourage other people, to strengthen other people. The gifts of grace are given to you for the common good, not, not for your own benefit, not for your own edification, and certainly not to give you a reason to boast. God isn't lucky to have you on his team. You are lucky that God loved you enough to send his son to die on a cross, to be buried, and three days later rise again to save your sorry soul. Our boast is in, his right, is in the righteousness that Christ has given us as a gift. And our gifts are given to us to serve others as he served others. Here's a fourth question I'm going to look at this morning. What spiritual gifts do we get? Look at 1 Corinthians 12. Look down at verse number 8. It says, For one is given the spirit, the, by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh at one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one... And hath many members, and all the members of that body one, being many are one body, so also is Christ. So what Paul is telling us here is everyone is given a different gift of the Spirit. Nobody receives them all. Each person was given something that everybody else needed. God doesn't give all of his gifts to one person. Jesus had all the gifts of the Spirit, but no one else gets that. And to show us this, Paul uses the analogy of the body. Every member of the body is unique, and every member of the body performs a different and specific function of the body. If the foot decides that it wants to do what the eye does, then the body suffers. If the heart thinks that it would do better work than the brain, it wants to take the, the work of the brain on, then the body dies. It's the same thing in a church. Every member has been given a specific gift from God to perform a specific service in the church for the glory of God. And every part of the body is dependent 
on every other part to function properly. The, the brain depends on the heart and the lungs to pump blood and oxygen and keep it alive. The heart and the lungs depend on the, the brain to tell them when to beat and when to breathe in and out. They depend on the nose to breathe in oxygen. They depend on the liver and the kidneys and the, and the pancreas to filter the blood. The entire body depends on each other. No part is any greater than the other. They all have to work together. That's why God has given us different spiritual gifts to make us depend on and help each other. That is church. There is no lone wolf Christianity. You know, you can't say, well, I'm complete in Jesus, so I don't need the church. Yes, you are complete in Christ, but God continues to work in and through your life through the intimate connection of his body. No one person has all the gifts of the Spirit, so we need to help each other experience them and grow from them. Here's the fifth question. How do spiritual gifts help the church? We're going to jump ahead next week. We are going to be looking at the specific spiritual gifts list, listed, not just in this passage, but in, in other passages of Scripture. We're going to look at, at what I have found are 22 named spiritual gifts that God, God has listed throughout Scripture. But let's jump ahead a little bit. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 26. <clears throat> How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a, has a psalm, has a doctrine, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation? Let all things be done unto edifying. Now, what Paul is telling us here is real church happens when everybody contributes. Paul is saying that everyone is to come to church with something to give, something to offer everyone else. That's, that's not how we think of church. Most of us think of church as it's a place I go to to receive. I receive a blessing from the music. I receive a blessing from the word of God. I receive, you know, fellowship from other people. And that's it. I come, I get, I leave. That's not church. Church isn't I come, I get, I leave. Church is I come, I give, I receive, I bless others. That's what church is. The worship team sings, the preacher preaches, everyone else just receive what they have to offer. But that's not what true church is. True worship consists of three things. The word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God. All working together to worship God. Yes, I come with a message to give. Yes, the singers come with a, a blessing to give as they sing for you. But that doesn't exempt you. Maybe God gives you a song to sing. You know, it is encouraging as someone who's up here singing and looking at the congregation. It's encouraging to see other people in the congregation singing along and worshiping God and praising God. It's very discouraging to see people not singing, to see people, maybe they're singing, but they're singing, amazing, their, their heart's just not in it. 
So what do I have to give them? Your worship to God. As you sing out to them, you encourage them. Maybe you have a word of encouragement for somebody. You come in and God lays on your heart, hey, talk to so-and-so. They're having a tough time and you don't even know what they're going through, but you just go and say, hey, man, I love you. I'm praying for you. If I can help you in any way, let me know. You come looking on how you can give and how you can serve God in the church. Next week, we're going to, again, look at what those specific gifts are for, are for today. But right now, I just want you to know, you as a child of God, have a spiritual gift given to you from God that he wants you to use to bless his church, to build up his people, and to share the gospel. When you come to church, you have something to give. When you come to church to worship, you have something to give. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you play an instrument or you sing a song or you preach a sermon. No matter who you are, you come to church to give. Here's the sixth question. We're going to look at the last question today. Are spiritual gifts a sign of spiritual fruit? Now, here, here's a great question. And it's one that the Corinthian church struggled with. Does having a spiritual gift from God mean that you are showing spiritual fruit from God. No, that's not what it means. Those two are two completely different things. Spiritual gifts do not equal spiritual fruit. Now, as we use our spiritual gifts correctly and rightly to honor God and build His church, that does produce the spiritual fruit. But just having a spiritual gift doesn't mean you're having spiritual fruit. You know, 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, we looked at 1 Corinthians 12 today, we're going to look at a lot at 1 Corinthians 14 next week. But 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 deal heavily with spiritual gifts. Do you know what comes between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14? 1 Corinthians 13. You know what 1 Corinthians 13 is? It's about love. Let's read it. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. It's a short chapter. We're going to read the whole thing. Now, in the King James, it uses the word charity. But in the Greek, the word charity literally means love. So I'm going to use the word love. But let's read 1 Corinthians 13. It says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, and I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love envies not. Love flaunts not itself and is not puffed up, does not behave itself improperly, Seeks not his own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are prophecies, they shall fail. If there are tongues, they shall cease. And if there is knowledge, it shall vanish. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect comes, then that which is imperfect shall pass away. 
When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see as though through a glass dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I also am known. So now abide hope and love, these three, faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest is love. Why did God stick this chapter that dealt completely with love right in the middle of two chapters that deal heavily with the gifts of the Spirit? Just so we could have something to, to read at weddings? No. God gives us spiritual gifts as an act of His love. He doesn't have to. He does so because He loves us and He loves sinners. Because of his motivation to give them to us, love, the only, they only work when we are focused on using them in love for other people. There are a lot of people that have spiritual gifts and they're, they're talented and they're effective on the outside, but they have no love on the inside. They are loveless, they're jealous, they're discontent, they're impatient, they're mean-spirited, and they are only looking out for themselves. 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, they're all about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 13 is about the greatest fruit of the Spirit, love. Where does our love come from? Not from a spiritual gift, but from seeing the greatest gift of love, that the world's ever seen. Jesus Christ coming to earth, deity wrapping itself in humanity, living a perfect, sinless life, dying on the cross for sins he never committed, but dying for our sins, allowing God to pour his full wrath for all of our sins out on Christ. He took the full punishment that we were due. He died in our place. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he rose, redeeming us to God the Father. That is the greatest display of love. And we show love when we remember that. Seeing that love for us, it produces a love for God and a love for others that is seen in how we treat them. That's a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a gift. It's a fruit. It's a result of walking with God. It's a result of seeing God as He is and spending time with Him. You know, spiritual gifts, they are given to us from our loving Heavenly Father for the purpose of building His kingdom and His church. You have one. You may not realize it, but you do. So what are your next steps this week? Well, here's what I want everyone to do. I want us to spend some time alone with God in prayer asking God to show us what our spiritual gift is, but also show us how we can use that gift to help others, to build up others, to spread the gospel to a lost and dying world.
to encourage believers who are struggling with difficulty or with sin. Pray for God to show you what it is and how you can use it for His kingdom and for His glory. Ask God what you can do in the church to be a giver, giving of other people, giving your gifts to encourage others and not just being a taker. What does God have that only you can do? If you're watching this morning or listening this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, then these gifts aren't for you. As I said, they're only for God's children. If you're not a child of God, you don't have one. But you can. As soon as you accept Christ as your Savior, God will give you a gift to use for His honor and His glory. But you've got to be saved first. To do that, you've got to know a few things. First of all, you've got to know you're a sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That includes me, that includes you, that includes everyone who's ever lived except Christ. We were born enemies to God, opposing God, and sinners. And because of that, we have a, a future of being condemned to eternity in hell. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That death isn't just our bodies stop working and our minds shut off. That death is seen in Revelation 20 where it says, death and hell were cast on the lake of fire. This is the second death. God says, because I'm a sinner, I deserve eternity separated from him in a real place called hell. But he doesn't want me to do That's what I deserve, but that's not what he wants to do for me. So he came down, he lived a perfect life as Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for my sins and your sins and the world's sins. He was buried and he rose three days later to redeem us to God. He did all the work that needed to be done. It says in Romans 5, 8, but he's commended his love toward us. He showed his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's in all the work. All we have to do is believe that we're sinners believe sinners have a, a future in hell, believe there's nothing we can do to stop it, and believe that He came, He lived a perfect life, He died on the cross, was buried and rose again to pay our sin debt. And all we have to do is trust in Him. It's not hard. It cost Him everything. It cost us nothing. It cost us faith. It costs us believing that He did for us what we couldn't do. If that's you this morning, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you want to accept Christ as your Savior, I just want you to repeat this prayer after me. There's no power in the prayer. There's no magic in the prayer. The prayer is just you verbalizing and recognizing what God has been doing in your heart. So I'll pray. You repeat the prayer after me. You can repeat it in your head. You can repeat it out loud. But just repeat these words to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I know I am a sinner. Lord, I know that my sin will send me to hell. Lord, I know there's nothing I can do in my own strength, in my own abilities to stop that. But God, I also know and believe that you loved me so much. You came to earth. You lived a perfect life. You died in my place and you rose again to redeem me to the Father. I know and I believe that you did everything necessary to pay my sin debt. And I accept your gift of salvation by faith. Lord, I trust and I believe 
that you died for me and I accept that gift. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me and doing what I could not do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, either you're watching or listening, I'm gonna put some information on the screen here. I just want you to reach out to us. We just, we, we're not gonna bug you. We're not gonna put you on a call list. I just wanna rejoice with you. I wanna praise God that you've accepted the gift of salvation. We wanna help you in your next steps, help you find a church you can grow in. It may be our church, it may not be. We just wanna help you on your next step. So give us a call. You can reach out here, you can call, you can text, you can email me. We'd love to hear from you. All the rest of the New Grace family, thank you so much for joining with us. Keep, keep praying for each other. Keep staying faithful to God.